statements and opinions by guests of Mysterious Radio are not to be considered as endorsed by sponsors or affiliated networks. Any rebroadcast, reproduction, or other use of this podcast without the express written consent of Mysterious Radio is strictly prohibited. Get ready for a night filled with conspiracies, strange places, the paranormal, UFOs, legends, and myths from around the world. With your hosts, K-Town on Mysterious Radio. All right, thank you for joining me tonight for another edition of Mysterious Radio. I'm your host, K-Town. Make sure that you subscribe to the Ultimate Feast for the Strange and Bizarre. Here on Mysterious Radio, you're going to hear... Everything from true hauntings, UFO sightings, real alien encounters, vile serial killers, strange creatures, secret societies, underground bases, spirit contacts, ancient ruins, time travel, real exorcisms, mysterious disappearances, and much more. And tonight, my special guest is William Ramsey, who's here to discuss the smiley face murders. Now, this is a theory that was brought about by a couple of retired detectives who uh, put together that there is something really, really wrong with the finding of bodies that are all young men in college. Most of them are described as being very athletic, and it seems like they would be able to fight off whoever is trying to do away with them, but um, there's more to it than that. Uh, They believe that they may have been drugged and some other things, um, maybe catching them when they're not at their sharpest, many of them being approached, they think, at bars, uh, finding them, or almost always, finding them near water. Uh, William has investigated this. I'm going to have his links in the show notes. Make sure you check it out. And also, he has a podcast. It's called William Ramsey Investigates. Very, very good podcast, and I will have him back on the show to talk about some of his other research. He does do documentaries and things like that as well. So, Anyway, a quick thanks to those that have been taking the time to leave us some amazing five-star ratings and reviews on iTunes. I do appreciate that. And make sure, above all, that you subscribe. And we do recommend that you listen to our show on Apple Podcast. Or if you're an Android user, you can use Pocket Cast. I mean, we use it here too, um, which is a very good uh, app. And there's a new one that we found as well. It's called Intel. So Intel is a good one. E-N-T-A-L-E. Yeah, that's it. And you can also visit our website at MysteriousRadio.com. Let's go ahead and bring out our special guest here now is William Ramsey, here to talk about the Smiley Face Murders. Welcome to Mysterious Radio. Thank you for having me. Great to be here. You know, I don't know a whole lot about it, so I'm glad to really have you on the show and talk about it in detail with my listeners. But let's talk a little bit about you first and how you really got started uh, digging in and trying to uncover the truth about some of these subjects. Well, I think it goes pretty far back. I was trained as a lawyer. I was in D.C. during the Clinton administration. I saw a lot of shady things that were never reported on the national media. And being there kind of really changed my perspective on news media, investigative journalism, and things like that. So I was always looking for other avenues to research and was really just a self-researcher for many years until I put out my first book in 2010. 
So it's a long span, a large span of time. But that was my first book was about Aleister Crowley and 9-11 and uh, self-published everything really didn't was an in, truly, truly tried to stay independent. So that would be my bias. But uh, I wrote that book. Then I wrote a book about the West Memphis Three, which I think the public story or the PR story is all uh, it's all false. It's deceptive, in my opinion. That's why I put out that book. And then I kind of uh, got interested in Crowley and his influence on the 20th century culture, which led me to write my third book, which was Children of the Beast. And during the writing of that book, I kept seeing these pictures that kept popping up and Alan Moore and some of these other well-known figures, the smiley face was the symbol was around, goes back to early rave music, industrial music in the UK. And I remember during that, this whole story about the smiley face killers, this phenomenon that was, I think it was on coast to coast at night. They were talking about it. There was a show and somebody was talking about this phenomenon of young men disappearing. And, uh, so I just recalled that. And so I, I started just vaguely looking into that. I ran into a who I think is a, a great researcher, Jim Smith, online. And I started watching. And really, uh, that was when I saw the, it was in 2016, where I saw the kind of followed the disappearance and death of a young man in Columbus, Ohio. His name was Joey LeBute. And he disappeared out of a gay bar and was missing, I think, 19 day, days and was later found in the Seattle River. So I watched him disappear. I read all the, or watched all the news casts and videos about his disappearance. And when he was found in water, and predicted by Jim to be found in water, I was shocked to see this phenomenon actually play out. The original investigators into the phenomenon were two guys by the name of Gilbert and Gannon. Gannon was a New York City detective. Gilbertson is an academic uh, criminal List academic out of, uh, I think it's Minnesota or Wisconsin, but uh, they kind of coined the term smiley face killers because they had seen this same smiley face killers insignia or symbol spray painted close to where they think these bodies were put in the water. And that's how it got its name and really kind of kept that name. And I've made two documentaries about it, which are available on Vimeo. One is titled Smiley Face Killers Who is Abducting, Torturing, and Murdering. Young men in the U.S., U.S. and U.K. And then my second one is the global slaughter continues. Uh, Smiley face killers, the global slaughter continues. So I have two documentaries out on it. All right, that's awesome. I'm going to have the links for those in the show notes. Um, let me ask you this: When you talk about Gilbert and Gannon, is that the other? Correct. Gilbertson and how, how did they come across? Do you know how they came across it? Well, that's a good question. So Gannon himself was the New York detective, and he had seen cases like this happening in New York. And Gannon, I mean, Gilbertson was in a college town and had seen the similar cases. And that's what brought them together. Like, hey, there's this strange phenomenon. Hey, I see the same thing in New York that you're seeing up in. I think it was, uh, you know, one of these cities up there, uh, Pacific, no, sorry, in uh, Minnesota. So they wrote the book. I think it's the most important book on the subject titled Case Studies in Drowning Forensics, which covers, I think, 14 cases. And they took a real kind of... Uh, forensic criminal forensics approach to these cases and i think that's really the benchmark for the starting point to kind of understand this phenomenon my critique of them is that there's probably two to three hundred at least two to three hundred of these cases globally and i think that their book is not doesn't cover that uh breadth of this kind of phenomenon that's happening worldwide that is wild that is yes. truly wild and scary all right so um let's go ahead for those that have never heard about it um tell us why it's referred to as the smiley face killers and when did they start to occur if you know that 
That's a great question. So I think the original case that uh, Gannon saw was in the 90s. He was a young man named McNeil who went to Fordham University. And he, he was he was last seen coming out of a bar. He was supposed to go north. He was found in the water. And so that was one of the first cases that he had seen. And then the other cases, the Gilbert had seen these other cases. Gilbertson had seen these other cases up. I think it was, I can't remember the name of the college town. But Nate Kapfer was another one whose body was frozen when they found him in the water. So he'd been frozen and then thrown in the water. So really creepy stuff. But uh, going back to the late 90s, People have tried to find, like, people have called McNeil victim zero, um, but there might be even earlier cases than them. But it seems like these, this phenomenon really did kind of start in the 90s or early 90s. And then, like, the smiley face killers is because both Gannon and Gilbertson independently saw this symbol of a smiley face in, you know, associated with these murders. Somebody's spray painting this, this symbol. And the real question, is this a random symbol or does it have something to do with these deaths? And I tried to trace the use of the smiley face in modern culture. And it's all over the place. All kinds of people are wearing clothes with the smiley face symbol in Hollywood. And uh, like I mentioned early, Alan, earlier, Alan Moore of The Watchmen has a smiley face predominantly used. It's in uh, Fight Club with uh, Brad Pitt. So all of these interesting, varied people for some reason have used this symbol. You think it's occult connected? Absolutely. I think that, that the symbol itself, and it's an idea that seems to be in definitely Crowley, Alistair Crowley, who's an occultist who I studied extensively, but it's this, I think it symbolizes the idea that the world cosmos is a great joke. Like it's a big joke. So you don't really have a lot of rules. You don't have, you don't have to work, you know, everything's random. So or chaos theory. So there's, there's nothing to guide you. And so I think that that's really the basis of the use of the smiley face through the culture. And actually I was sent something recently where some of these really far leftist Antifa people are spray painting the smiley face next to the uh, hammer and sickle of communism. And so in Portland, they're using the smiley face symbol and just spray painting it randomly and uh, it's pretty concerning to see that usage. Well, um, wow, this this can't possibly be done. I'm going to get your thoughts on that. I mean, being that it's occurring worldwide, I mean, wouldn't you say that this is done on a much larger scale than 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 has ever been um, even tried or dreamed of by, yes. you know, a single person? You know, this is like a cooperative effort. You know, by well, that's an excellent point, yeah. and I think that it co- these murders of these deaths coincide with the rise of the internet. I don't think that it's a mistake. So it's somehow uh, people are communicating. Like we know, like these busts or these arrests take place of pedophiles who are exchanging information globally. I think that the smiley face killers, the victims, are not pedophiles. They're like young men between eighteen to twenty-five, vulnerable at a bar, possibly been drugged. Um, but uh, I think that that is the target group of somebody using the dark web and using things like encryption and, you know, fairly sophisticated. And there's been some very interesting, like there was another case that I followed closely, a guy by the name of Dakota James out of Pittsburgh. And there was a really good article in the Daily Beast by a writer by the name of Nicole Egan, E-G-A-N. People can look it up, but his name was Dakota James. 
but it seems like he was actually, there was a test run done on this young man. He survived and then disappeared again. And uh, he was missing for 40 days and uh, suddenly turned up. But the, one of the scary things about his finding his body was that he was not in a state of 40 days of decay. Like, so he didn't die right away after he disappeared. And he like had a, a ligature like they mark. kept him and tortured him, maybe. Something, right. So something happened. Uh, something that, you know, you you don't even want to speculate on the horrors of that. But we people and myself, it's my conclusion was that these guys are into S&M and they're into torturing people. So they keep them for a while. And uh, then they either kill them by drowning them someplace or um, they, they're not dead. They're not actually people think that these are accidental drownings. I don't believe they're drowned in the, the rivers they're found in. They might be forcibly drowned or tortured or something like that. But uh, Dakota James was a very important case because it also involved a very well-known forensics guy by the name of Cyril Wecht. Very well, you know, he's been around and involved in a lot of criminal cases. But he looked at the Dakota. He lives in outside of Pittsburgh. He looked at the Dakota James case and said, "This guy was somebody put a ligature around his neck. He was murdered." You know, so it's not an accidental drowning, and that's one of the I think mistakes in the analysis of these cases is that these people are brushing it off as these are accidental drownings, but nobody ever sees them go in water. And nobody really, why do people get this impulse to go fall in water after drinking or being out at night? It's very unusual. Most people uh, don't have that impulse to do that. So, well, let uh, me ask you this. If, if, if normally, you know, if someone drowns, first of all, the water has to be deep enough. And then normally, um, when they find the body, it's in such a state of decomposition that, you know, they can't make a a visible identification. I mean, are the bodies, do they look like that? Like they've been submerged in deep water for a while or what? Well, that's a good question. So it's they're, they're clearly some of these bodies are in different states of decay, but like Dakota James was not. But it's different variants. And it, you make a good point because. The standard a body will actually, if you drown, you actually float. Your body will float to the surface. That's so right. That's typically, right. if somebody drowns, it's very easy to find them. So why are some of these disappearances not easily found? So if you look through like my documentary, I show that these people are missing for weeks and then magically they show up. Why is that? Why is there this discrepancy and why are they falling in water? Now I do believe that there are cases of accidental drownings that take place at night. But the ones that I, I have specified or drawn out of that grouping definitely do not have the indicators of accidental drowning, that they were abducted some way or another. And there is a presence in, in Gilbertson and Gannon have found the presence of GHB, which is a date rape, date rape drug um, exactly. that is associated with some of the disappearances. So, and it's not uncommon, you know, women, uh, know that when they go out to a bar, there is a potential for them to be drugged. And the, the men don't seem to think that they could possibly be a victim. So I think that that uh, lends to this case, these cases actually happening where, you know, women, even to this day, cover their drinks. Right. You make that's a great point there. Um, you know what? This really, I mean, really... <laughs> I don't know what to say. What is the damn connection with the water? This this is like those disappearance, those four one one disappearances. Yes, is yes. like all those have moved into more urban areas. I mean, because those people would disappear and then they would turn up near bodies of water, and they, you know sometimes their bodies 
don't even look like they've been there a day, two days. You know what I'm right. saying? So right. very weird. Um, very weird. So I think it's somewhat similar. David Polides is, is the guy who's yeah. looked into that. And he's actually written a book on this kind of subject. But I think that really it's kind of a perfect crime. So if you wanted to commit a perfect crime outside of motive, how could you how could you uh, put a deceptive element to that? Well, you would take this body or person for a while and then put them in water and then everybody would say it was an accidental drowning and it's done cut and dry the police just say accidental drowning done right so then it's never looked at as a murder and uh so i think it's uh, there's an element of these crimes that that would indicate like a perfect murder so for example they caught a guy in the gay community in toronto and they were all it's very similar to the sfk where there's tons of searches missing person signs are put up on posts and there's all this happen. Well, the same thing happened with MacArthur's victims. They didn't know where they were. Well, this guy was burying him like in creepy places, like he was a gardener. And so he would bury him at the bottom of pots and stuff like that. But their bodies were found, right? So they could t- trace them and tie them to MacArthur. So in the water, it's a lot harder or, to say where this body was from, right? So it washes away some of the evidence. So I think that there's an element of these smiley, what's called the smiley face killer phenomenon, where it is a perfect crime. Is there a pattern to the to the type of men that are chosen? I think that's a great question. I think that they're usually college age. So uh, but I would say they're typically run. They've had more and more different types of victims, different ethnicities, but mostly white male. But they're starting to have a lot of Latino. There were a couple of people from India, African-American you know, mixed rate. There was one guy from Nepal. So that was kind of out. That was, uh, what was his name? It was Arvind Sharma was his name. So you're starting to see this kind of wide berth, but I would typically say college aged. And I think that that's really the thing that's like, is that they're in a vulnerable state, sorry, when they're out at bars drinking. So that's like, and I, I, there was a couple serial killers. That's how they, uh, selected their victims. There was one guy by the name of Lanfear who that was how he would go hunt for victims is at 2 a.m. after the bars closed because he'd know he could find somebody who's drunk. Mm, okay. Let's talk about the the smiley face again that's that's always found um, near the victims. Have is it is it always found near the victims? I was going to ask you, are any of the these uh, smiley faces ever drawn on the victims? That's a good question. I don't think that they've had, they've seen it drawn on the victims, but typically it's spray painted in the area. And Gilbertson and Gannon says it's placed in where they think the body was put in the water. So not where the person was abducted, but if they were taken to be put back in the water, they were finding it, finding it there. Well, they have also found other symbols there. They have not disclosed to the public. So they're not just finding a smiley face killer. That's the most predominant symbol. But somebody is is using some other communication form with these symbols, and uh, they've they're, talked they're about using it. that yeah. as a holdback to try to something, right? Right, yeah, like a yeah. Yeah, law enforcement does that, right? Yeah. So, um, but they've discussed these cases on Doctor Oz and Doctor Phil. I think it was last year because they did a six part series for Oxygen that covered some of the cases, and we talked about Dakota James, so they covered Dakota James as well. So I'd recommend people watch that as well if they're interested in investigating this kind of this is like a true crime case that's still happening. Like they just had another kid in Sacramento, the same kind of case. 
When, young guy. When was that? Uh, that was the right at the beginning of the year, I think. Um, let's see if I can remember. It's, there's so many names and cases. Is that uh, but, is that the most recent one that you know of? Uh, that well, the, the interesting thing is because of the pandemic, uh, a lot of these cases they kind of dried up. So, but his name was Holden in Sacramento. But they had another kid out of Chicago, African American guy named Monye M O N Y E, disappeared off of a college campus. Later found in in the lake. Um. Ian Powers and SF was at a San Francisco football game, but they had, they actually had a capture and I covered this in my documentary, my second documentary. They got this guy Katunsky. Um, he was a, he was homosexual, but he was also on like prostitution sites and he was on all these, there's a common denominator among at least the gay victims is that they're on Grindr or one of these other, um, male, you know, meet up, meet up sites. But this is an interesting case. I would recommend you check this out. It's Katunsky and his victim was named Kevin Bacon. The same, the same name as the real Kevin, the known Kevin Bacon actor, right? And actually the real actor got involved in the case because of the same name of the victim. And Jeffrey Stark, who's also kind of a internet YouTube celebrity, got involved and raised money. But they, I mean, it's a terrible case because he disappeared. He was on a I think Grinder met this guy, Katunsky, and the police, to their credit, I even remember the police captain's name was Kaiser. And this is outside of Lansing, Michigan, actually went to his house and they found a fake room with a dungeon. And there was the victim, Kevin Bacon. And I believe this was February, like this year. And uh, it was a terrible story because his, the guy, Katunsky, took Kevin Bacon's testicles and ate them. Oh, wow. That yeah. is, that's shocking. I didn't expect yeah, you to say shocking. that. First of all, I want to know how many of these victims do you know of that use Grinder, and then have police actually looked into like their communications to see if maybe it's the same people or, you know, kind of delved in that a little deeper to see if. That's a great, that's a great question. But there, I would say um, a, a lot of the cases do involve Grinder that I know of, at least if they're gay men, gay younger men who are found in water. In the cases that I, you and I talked about, or I mentioned, I mentioned uh, both Joey Labute and Dakota James were both on Grinder be- right before they disappeared. So they were, and there's actually a picture of um, from a CCTV of Dakota James walking in downtown picture of uh, downtown Pittsburgh, typing on on his phone, like possibly on Grinder. So there is seems to be a connection. There was a a serial killer who targeted young men in London. And uh, he was a, known as a grinder killer because that's what he used to find his victims. Okay. So there, there is a connection between certain, um, uh, certain aspects of this. And they had, they actually, they had a guy in, in the UK in Manchester. His name was Reinhard Sinaga, S I N A G A. And he was like this other guy I mentioned, Lampier. He would find his victims at 2 a.m. after the bars closed. So these guys, somehow they key into this, this, uh, this thing. But yeah, I, I think that that's very important. I don't know of any police who have looked into these guys' phone records, but I would think the smartest thing to do would be to subpoena that information from these companies. However, the problem is, is that a lot of these police officers are looking at these crimes as accidental deaths instead of murders. 
So they're not taking the steps to investigate them, which I think is a mistake. Yeah, it is. It really is. Um, I'm interested to know if the smiley face that's found near the victims, is it always drawn the same way in the same color? Or do, do you know that? I think that they said that it seems to be red and spray painted. So all the pictures that they've shown that Gilbertson and Gannon have shown is spray painted. There's actually another case that I followed very closely from the disappearance to uh, when the guy was found in water. This is in Boston. There's like a, there's an epicenter in Boston. And one of these guys, Zach Marr came out of a bar and there was a spray paint, much like very similar in style to the spray painting that Gilbertson and Gannon saw, but in Boston. And this guy, same thing, is at a bar, disappeared, later found in water. Um, so the same MO. And uh, so there's a lot of information out there uh, that a lot of, but we, there's a smiley face. I mean, it's crazy. There's other things that are happening in Bristol in the UK. Manchester's uh, an epicenter. Um, so it's really a strange global phenomenon. And are people, all of them around the same age? Yeah, I mean, there's like I said, it's very, very close college age, 19 to 23. But there are outliers. There's been victims who've been in their late 20s, 30s. Um, Not really. You don't see this kind of phenomenon happen with like older men um, where they are at a bar and disappear. So let's talk about the injuries. I'm, I'm interested to know, are they all suffering the same type of injuries? Is it strangulation? Are they being shot? I mean, well, that's a great question. But they the, here's the other thing is that they haven't, the families have not obtained the uh, autopsy reports. But Patrick McNeil, who we talked about earlier, it took 10 years for his family to get the autopsy report. And also Cyril Weck looked into that case as well and said that he was murdered. But when they got the autopsy report, the family was in shock because they were never told that their son had burns like somebody took a blowtorch and burned the upper part of his body like he was sitting in a chair and somebody tortured him and he had like somebody hit him in the head with a hammer like really horrible stuff so some of these guys clearly have injuries that are that are not noticed or are covered up by the police i mean there's a whole bunch of rationales about why this is not coming forward but um i think that a lot of these police officers or police Departments are incentivized just to call it an accident and not have an open murder case. So Okay, so if they're doing that, doesn't doesn't that make you wonder why you wouldn't release the autopsy? Well, that's a good point. And I think that it's like some of the the police places or the medical examiners are reluctant to do it. And, I mean, there was another one, Chris Jenkins, his mother wrote a book about her son's disappearance. Was It was the same type of thing in an SF, SFK, but when she got the autopsy report, he had had a clump of hair that was not his own in his fist that she never knew of. So, like, it was even more suspicious, her son's death. But that's also a very important case. Huh, a clump of hair. That's that. Yeah. Now, that's interesting. So, do you know if police ran that for DNA or, or anything? You know, I don't know. But the interesting thing about the Jenkins, Chris Jenkins case that happened in Minneapolis is that They changed the police, looked at the case. And over time, I think there was two or three different um, police captains. But the latest one sat there was a kind of a public um, display where he sat down and changed and told the mother of Chris Jenkins that he was changing the designation on the death of Chris Jenkins from accident to murder. So they, they went back and looked over the case. 
So when they go back and look over these cases, they're like, whoa, there's real problems here that don't indicate this is an accidental death. Yeah. Well, what I know about the dark web, I mean, they could be snatched by an organized group of people that are putting them on uh, for voyeur torture type things, you know? No question. Wow. Okay. So let's talk about I'm glad you brought that up because Dakota James, like there was like a weird test run. He was drugged, but made lived and then disappeared. And some people I had a friend of mine speculate like there could be internet there's all kinds of weird international things happening where people select victims whatever their type is whether it's women or the pedophiles or the like men or whatever literally cross jurisdictions so i think that because of this travel the ability for people to travel i think that that's a component and it actually ties into the death of um joey labute in columbus ohio because that weekend was the arnold schwarzenegger classic which is, I think, the number one bodybuilding kind of convention that happens every year in Columbus, Ohio. So I don't think it's a coincidence that he goes missing when, you know, 50 to 100,000 people fly into town. Yeah, yeah. Um, hmm. Okay, so let's talk about witnesses. Has anyone given any kind of consistent description or any description at all of a possible witness? Well... I mean, that's a good question. So we talked about Katunsky. So he got, he was, you know, he's actually, I think they haven't really prosecuted him yet. They're waiting for trial, but he's an example of somebody who they caught. Now, whether he was involved in other deaths, um, I don't know. There's Stephen Port, who they don't know. This is the guy who was outside of London who was drugging people. So there, whether they have witnesses, specific witnesses, I mean, there's some incredible cases. There was a case out of New York where um, I think his name was Anthony Urena, U-R-E-N-A, where they're watching a car literally follow this guy. He's drunk and a car goes the wrong way down a one way street tailing him. So it's and this is all public stuff. It's all in my documentary. So there definitely seem to be leads in these cases that aren't being followed up, whether there are direct witnesses. I mean. People have, it's just, yeah, I mean, it's a really creepy set of circumstances. But like I said, because people think these are accidental deaths, I don't think the police are following up on these cases. Yeah, yeah. I'm wondering if if the um, the fact that they're murdering them in different parts of the world, um, if that's not just done on purpose, you know what I'm saying? Because it causes a little confusion among law enforcement. Right. Uh, is the FBI on the case or... Or is this not handled, much. I mean, on certain, no, on certain cases, they definitely are. I think that the Joey Labute case, the mother of Joey Labute in Pittsburgh sat down and there was a member of the Secret Service and the FBI in a meeting she had. So she didn't even know why the Secret Service was there. But the federal agencies were definitely involved in that recent case, not in these older cases. But I do believe that there's some form of cellular operation where people of like-minded are communicating in different parts of the world who are carrying out this type of crime. So somehow they connected on a message board or some part of the dark web or Silk Road or something. And this is, this is their ideal victim, right? A young man. So I think that, like, I think you're onto something when you said like they're in some torture room or something like people are really, you know, it's really dark. The dark evil stuff. Right, right. Because they need victims. So, right. Well, here's the thing is like, if you look at the, my first movie, um, my first documentary, I use on the cover 
something that was taken from a doc from a, a video called Broken. And it was a Trent Reznor kind of project. But this weird video, this is from the 90s, I think. Uh, it follows the same MO of these smiley face killers. There's a young man out on the street. A car drives up. He ends up in this kind of dungeon in a chair tied up. He's being tortured. And then they drowned him in some kind of weird fetish thing. It's literally the exact MO. And that's why I used it on the cover of my documentary. So are you said that's really called be- Broken? Broken, B-R-O-K-E-N. You can watch it online. If you look up, I think it's, what's the name of Trent Reznor's band? I can't remember it now. Um, I think it's like a Downward Spiral. It's from that album. Um, but Nine Inch Nails. I think it's affiliated with Nine Inch Nails. But uh, there was this director, the guy who directed, directed it, his name was Peter Christofferson. And I trace his arc of his life and it's like this could be a potential perp i mean he passed away i think 2007 or 2008 but he was involved in all kinds of avant-garde countercultural stuff and uh liked crowley had all, was associated with the illuminates of anthanoteros so a lot of black magic stuff and you know i don't know what these guys were really up to but he was traveling he was part of a band so imagine using a band as a cover for your crimes where you're traveling from city to city, you commit a crime and you just zip right out and go to the next city. Right. So it's, it, it's, there's a potential and that's kind of the element of these cases is that there's not a lot of remnants of, of crime, right? It's like this person, this happened and then nobody has any leads. What about uh, that? That's a interesting theory there. That would be crazy. Really? What about cell phone movements? William, do we know about that or have they looked at that? I mean, I think that they find these cell phones and they're, they definitely seem to be moving it. But a lot of time in these things, they just find a cell phone by the river, like the person put down their cell phone and jumped in the river. Yeah, but they, uh, haven't, they haven't looked at like the cell phone literally hasn't pinged off any towers to let them know like their last whereabouts or anything like that. I don't know, but I think that's how the cell phone records was how they got this guy, Katunsky, Kevin Bacon. When he murdered him, I think that that was what they were using. So I think the police are kind of getting wise to this phenomenon. Um, but I, I don't know really the specifics of how much they're looking into it in these past cases. I just, it's not something, you know, if I was a police captain, I'd be definitely wanting to know kind of the cell phone. But like I said, if they just describe this, these water deaths to accidents, they're just not going to follow up. Can you tell us about one of the strangest circumstances of one of these young men? that were murdered well the another one shane, Mon- shane montgomery was a victim i think late 90s early 2000s young man fits the profile skinny was at a bar in uh okay he was outside of philadelphia but he disappeared so they the, you can see the police checking the water the, and the water is literally two to three feet deep like a man standing up to it will be up to his waist right so that you can see the police doing these water searches, very meticulous water searches. And they find his car keys at the bottom of this river. And uh, it's Maniunk is the name of the city. Uh, but they find his car keys. They, they cancel the search. And then two weeks later, his body is found in that same search place. And it just sticks with you because like they, they pre-searched everything. They could, they could find his car keys, but they could not find his body. Then his body magically showed up. That is textbook 411 stuff. Yeah. Oh, yeah. But it's the same thing. Like there's Arvind Sharma. He was in like an S&M club. 
disappeared, found in water upstream. Late, like 10 days later, his brother says he must have seen something he wasn't supposed to see and got abducted. So a lot of these family members totally believe that their loved ones were met with misadventure. They don't believe that they accidentally drowned, almost to a T. They do not believe, they know something suspicious. They just don't understand what happened. So uh, that's actually pretty common among, and these, there's a lot of women in the, the women did show up with Gilbertson and Gannon on Dr. Oz and Dr. Phil, I think last year it was. And uh, so they're still, you know, in some of these cases happened over 20 years ago. So there, there's, there's like a growing list of mothers who um, have lost loved ones. And, you know, they're never, they never really get over it. There's still something about yeah, they'll them. never get over it. Yeah, you're right. Um, what about the case? And I forget the guy's name, but it was it was absolutely um, unnerving. The guy that got killed in Michigan, the black guy that worked for the city, and he actually caught part of his encounter with something on his cell phone. Do you remember that? Oh, yeah, that was uh, and he was found near water, too. Correct. He was found in a lake. And they had him screaming and shouting. Right. His name, he was like a Liberian. Right, right. Guy. I wish I could remember his name offhand. I actually did a video of him. Um, that was a super suspicious case. He was at a late night. I think he was at like a gas was station. A, when he was yeah, last I thought night. he was at a bar maybe. and Or somebody dropped him off somewhere and yeah, he said super he would suspicious. walk. Yeah. Um, his name, I wish I could remember his name offhand. But yeah, no, there's actually audio of him on his cell phone screaming. That's, that's really weird. So, um, yeah, I wish I could think of his name, but it's just weird how his body was found near water as well. I mean, do you have any theories as to why they're found near water? I mean, I, like I said, I think that, I mean, it can get pretty dark, like whether these guys are really in the occult, the water represents like a, a spiritual, um, you know, like a, a doorway or a portal. So I think that that might be some of it. Um, but I'm trying to think what this, what this other guy's name was. It was, uh, but yeah, but I do, I do think that some of these, they're like, there are elements in the occult where people are put in water. So I think that that there is a potential that that's what these guys are, are doing. And some of them, at least in part, Let's talk about the you mentioned the occult. I mean, I know that they are really big on dates. So is there have you looked at, you know, the the dates, uh, any significant dates of when these bodies are found or when they come up missing? The guy's name was Henry T. McCabe. That was was four years ago. But yeah, there there seems to be correlations between solstices, between types of the year, like uh, winter types of the year. but some people have looked at moon phases and all this other stuff. Um, there's like probably 10 researchers into it who are independent of each other. They're not working together, but just collating, uh, looking through these cases. So it's hard to say specifically what's going on, but there definitely seems to be things where like Christmas, uh, New Year's, and there also seems to be a very anti-Christian animus. Like some of these early cases, one of the distinguishing characteristics of the victims is that they're Christians. Really? Wow. Yes. Yeah. 
What about states? I mean, here in the United States, um, can you tell us the state that has the most, the states that are seeing the the most most victims? Yeah, from the, this thing. Well, like I said, I think that the phenomenon doesn't really. I think it, it's a group of people operating in cells. So it's not just one person. Maybe one person is traveling, from crossing, um, you know, borders and stuff like that. But the hotspots were Boston, New York. Um, Definitely up in Wisconsin and Minnesota. Uh, there were a lot of cases in Indiana, um, Portland of all places. There's a few cases in Los Angeles in the Los Angeles area. Um, definitely England, Bristol, Manchester, and some in London. So all with college towns, you know, college towns, younger men. Yeah, definitely. So and then there's been a few cases. There's a lot, some in France. Uh, in Netherlands, Germany, of all places, Spain, Thailand, I had a couple. So it's definitely a, a, a there's a global aspect to the phenomenon. But yeah, Boston, there's actually, I interviewed a really interesting interview I did with a woman from Boston who posted something on her blog spot. It was called Cryptid Antiquarian. But she just made a post about, hey, look at all these strange water deaths that happened in Boston and she had something happen. Like it was like 2000 responses of all these people talking about cases. Like she hit a nerve and um, really remarkable. Her name was Elise Soper, cryptid antiquarian. And I interviewed her three years ago, but she, her blog post was just very simple. It was just Boston's mysterious vanishing men. And she just went through. So it really, when you, that's the whole thing about this, phenomenon is there's like people noticing something strange or strange correlations, but maybe not seeing the full picture of it, but definitely seeing it within their geographical region. Yeah. Yeah. Good point. Let me ask you something about Gilbert and Gannon. Are they still looking into it now or? Absolutely. I think that they, they actually, so Gannon's partner was a guy by the name of Vorte. He was, I don't think he was involved in the writing of the book, but they're working with him and another guy by the name of Donovan. So they were all on the show on oxygen. And, um, they have, I think started a consulting business to consult with people who've had this phenomenon happen to them. So I do believe they're still collecting information. I tried to reach out to them. I mean, I never got a response from either of them. So I'm wondering uh, if they've thought about or uh, contemplated on bringing in, you know, different sources, maybe not the typical type of help that you would, on a case like this, like um, I did an interview with Robbie Thomas, who is often tapped by different um, departments uh, throughout the country, law enforcement departments that need help on some of the more, you know, the tougher cases where they can't get any leads. And he's actually a psychic medium. Um, and and he's, he's actually helped a guy that worked for the CIA's daughter was kidnapped. And do you know if they've ever thought about going that route? I don't know. I do know a psychic has, has been involved in the case, um, in one of the cases, but, um, and I think he actually talks about it on YouTube. There's a psychic, but I've never heard somebody brought in specifically to try to solve these cases. But I mean, I think, uh, you know, if I was one of these mothers, I'd probably use anything I could if I thought they I could help. Too. But, yeah. yeah. 
Absolutely. Okay. So my last question is how can, how can people keep up with the progression of the case? Is there like a Facebook group or a website or anything where they do updates on the case or anything like that? I think that like going back to Jim Smith, I would recommend checking out Jim Smith on Twitter and Facebook. He usually is on Twitter. I think his Twitter account is smiley face cult on Twitter. And he's always posting these strange cases. I think he's watched like 30 to 40 cases of young men disappear and he's predicted they'll be found in water and they end up found in water because he knows the MO. So if this is a person who fits this thing, like I'm sure he's going to end up water. And that's really how I came um, to know Jim. Like, and that's why he was the chief researcher. So I would check him. I definitely do updates. I mean, I've done these two, my most recent second part video was done this year. So that covers all the cases from when I did my last or first documentary in 2017. So I tried to include all this newer information. And so people are still talking. I just did a recent, really interesting interview with Igor Sarsky titled The Smiley Face Killer's Phenomenon in the Order of Nine Angles, which I would recommend people check out. Um, but people are still kind of working at it, you know, even through this these pandem- pandemic times. But uh are most of the cases open or are they closing them because they believe? I think most, most are closed. Correct. Or they're just like putting unknown causes. But I think most of them are closed. I don't think they have really open cases. I think really the change was the Dakota James case with the involvement of the FBI and the Secret Service is rather mysterious because, um, you know, people don't. That was the first time that that kind of federal involvement has been involved in any case under what circumstance would the secret service be involved in? I, mean, right. that's- I don't know we'll see that what's the secret service get involved in all kinds of like what is it forgeries and international issues or threats so getting the secret secret service covers some interesting territory so i'm wondering what they're involved i don't know i really don't i've never talked to any police about it i'm just an independent researcher but i think really when I got started was, is this phenomenon real? Is this really a real phenomenon? Is this our young men meeting misadventure at night and being found in water later mysteriously? And I think the answer to me is a resounding yes. I think that this is actually, these are not accidental deaths. There's so many problems with so many of these cases where the police have checked the water, they have search teams, and these people, you know, these bodies should be found within a week and they're found three, four weeks later in the same spot where people have already searched. So, um, but yeah, the ongoing look into these cases, I highly recommend Jim Smith. Um, but yeah. And I, you know, there's some stuff there. I have a total repository on my YouTube channel of the investigation. William Ramsey investigates on YouTube. So if you go there and subscribe or just take a look around, you can see all of my one hour interviews with a variety of different people, just trying to, you know, get a handle on, uh, on what's going on. And your website, William, is what? What is that? William Ramsey Invests. So if you want signed copies of my books, you can go there. I also, all my five of my documentaries are on Vimeo under William Ramsey. And uh, they cover Crowley, Smiley Face Killers, 9-11. So I've got five documentaries there. Cool. And your and your podcast? William Ramsey Investigates. So you can, my podcast should stream to a whole bunch of iTunes, Google Play, etc. Awesome, William. Many blessings to you. And I really appreciate your time, man. Yeah, blessings to you. Thank you so much. Appreciate it. All right. So that's going to do it for tonight's edition. I want to thank my special guest again, William Ramsey, for joining me. His website 
is WilliamRamseyInvestigates.com. Make sure you go over there, follow him. All his social media links are there. He's got an Instagram, a Facebook, and a Twitter. And also uh, his store is there. So you can get his books and also you can follow his, um, his work um, in his blog and you can contact him there as well. If you have questions, I'm sure he wouldn't mind answering any of those. And like I said before, I will have him back on the show. If you would like to hear more of these editions, please make sure you subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Pocket Cast, or whatever your favorite listening platform is. And make sure you check out the new podcast app. It's called Intel. Okay, that's pretty neat. Anyway, I hope that you enjoyed tonight's edition. I want to thank my producer tonight, Kim, and the Mysterious Radio team. I'm your host, K-Town. I want you to have a great night, and I will see you next time on Mysterious Radio. Like the show? Get more Mysterious Radio on our website. And don't forget to visit our Twitter and Facebook page. 